Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right, it's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and the effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Brian Primack will join us to discuss You Are What You Click. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. show. How can we control our social media diet? Well, joining us today to discuss this issue is Dr. Brian Primack. Dr. Primack is internationally known for his research in the complex interrelationships between media, technology, and health. He's currently at the University of Arkansas, where he's the Dean of the College of Education and Health Professions, and also the Henry G. Holtz Endowed Chair in Educational Innovations, and a professor of public health and medicine. He has penned numerous professional and popular works on the subject and has recently published the new book entitled You Are What You Click, How Being Selective, Positive, and Creative Can Transform Your Social Media Experience. Dr. Primack, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much, Charles. It's great to be here. Well, it's certainly a great book you put together here, You Are What You Click. I'm curious why you decided to put the book together. Yeah. Well, as we all know from being human beings, those of us who have used social media, it really has become a sharp double-edged sword. We've all had experiences that are positive. We've had times when social media helped us connect or feel warmth and generosity. But we've also likely all had feelings of even depression, anxiety, and isolation, ironically, on social media. And so the question becomes, how do we balance these things? How do we balance the challenges with the benefits? So my idea was that we sort of need a food pyramid, quote unquote, for social media. The food pyramid for food helps us obtain that balanced diet. And so set out to create was the the sort of unofficial food pyramid for social media. Do we actually need it? Is there junk uh, social media and social media that's nutritious? Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great question because you could say easily, well, I mean, you need food to live, but you don't really need social media to live. And that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, it's not a perfect analogy, but there are a lot of similarities. I mean, generally these days, almost everyone uses the the first use of the word social media seems to be less than 20 years ago. And yet already 4 billion people across the world use it. And the people who do use it use it for several hours a day. And so it sort of has become like food. People use it multiple times a day. It's very easy to overindulge in both cases. People often will look down and realize that they've just gone through an entire box of cereal while watching TV or something like that. And similarly, people will scroll, 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 and all of a sudden you realize that several hours later that they've just lost all of that time. And then they tend to feel guilty in both situations because they just sort of ran off. Of course, the answer with regard to food is not to stop eating. 
It's to try to have some kind of balance. And so I think about it in a similar way with social media. The answer is probably not to simply stop, although some people very well might choose that. But I think most of us in today's society want to keep the positive things about social media. We don't want to completely go go cold turkey. And so instead, we need a set of, of guidelines you know, hopefully evidence-based guidelines that can help us craft what would be a satisfying and nutritious tech diet. What would that social media pyramid look like? Well, it's a good question, and it doesn't really have to be a pyramid. But in the case of this book, You Are What You Click, I did settle on a pyramid structure, but it's just a simple three-level pyramid. We need something simple because, you know, you it's not great to give people 124 things they should do. But, and we also need something that's going to be flexible. Social media changes so quickly that we don't want to give somebody suggestions based on a very specific platform or something like that because those platforms change so quickly. I mean, just a few years ago, there was no such thing as TikTok. And so, you know, all of a sudden, everything has changed so quickly. We, we need our model to be flexible. So I did end up with a three-level pyramid, and the base of the pyramid is be selective, and the middle layer of the pyramid is be positive, and the triangle at the top of the pyramid is be creative. And those things, obviously, those are very general ideas, but in the book, I go through very specific ways that those might be manifested in people's individual social media experiences. Platforms are sort of notorious for using techniques to keep you hooked. Yeah, absolutely, Charles. And you're absolutely right. And in fact, platforms like you say are very specifically meant to be the, the word that, uh, you know, platforms use is quote unquote sticky, because the more time that you spend there, the more profits they are going to enjoy, <laughs> the, the, the more ads you'll click and the more they can sell advertising space to others, etc. So how do we do this? Well, one of the things is that the amount of time is not the only thing to be thinking about. There are some very practical things that come right out of the evidence that I think really will be useful for people to know about. So for example, we in, in our lab have done some studies, in, including some you know just published recently, that look at the number of platforms that you use. So it's not just the amount of time. Let's say that you and I, we both use exactly two hours of social media a day, but you are dividing your time with just two platforms, and I'm dividing my time with seven different platforms. So it's the same two hours a day. Is there a difference in the outcome for us? And there really had been a lot of controversy and question either way. And that's why we did a study with a couple thousand individuals. And we determined that even controlling, again, for the amount of time using social media, I using seven platforms versus you using two platforms was three times as likely to be depressed. And we think that this is probably because it really is kind of hard to wrap your mind around seven different platforms. It's kind of like trying to be friends with seven different groups of people. I mean, each little platform is its own idiosyncratic world. So if you don't know them as well, you're more likely to make a gaffe. You're less likely to be able to use it in a positive way. And it was really doing an empiric study that helped us figure this out because before that, you know, there were all kinds of different theoretical reasons why it might have been beneficial to have seven different platforms because maybe it gave you more connections. But that's not what we found when we actually studied it. 
maybe goes into the second level there is platforms or time or, or interactions that will benefit you in a positive way and not just be a drain on your energy. Yeah, that uh, that that's absolutely absolutely right. And so so I think you are right. It does start to come into that second level of the pyramid in terms of being positive. I mean, positive psychology these days is is really coming into its own and there there are a lot of reasons to be positive in general, but even more I think because social media it's particularly important. So for example, social media is sort of like driving in a car. It's very easy to fall into road rage in a car because we very much dehumanize every all the other cars around us. We don't think of that as, you know, grandma who's in front of me and going slowly in the in the left lane because of, you know, they're trying to get to something important involving their grandchild. We think of it as that horrible red car. <laughs> And it's similar in terms of social media. We think of people, especially people that we don't know, as just avatars or as other. And so it becomes very, very easy to fall into negativity. And so we actually have some studies that bear that relationship out and show that the more people you don't know personally in your friend list, the more likely you are to be depressed and that type of thing. And so we give ideas for how to look for positivity and create positivity with a vengeance because you can't just let positive and negative things happen because there is a negativity bias on social media. We often, we did some research on this, we often found that when people have positive experiences and negative experiences, the negative experiences often win out. Uh, probably does require quite a bit of energy to imbue social media with a sense of positivity. Yeah, it, it does take energy. But once you've started, though, and thought about some of these ideas, it actually becomes pretty fun. Because, for example, we talk a lot about how the whole point of social media is to have better relationships. But when people actually start thinking about what are my relationships like on social media, they don't necessarily feel like they've actually created relationships that are truly nurturing them in the way that relationships should. And so then all of a sudden people realize, wow, there are ways that I can create better relationships. One small example that we have, again, evidence-based, is that instead of just using the most common features of social media and just posting something to everybody you know, creating smaller groups, you know, even quite small with just a few people or doing more, using them for more one-on-one -on -one communication can really develop those relationships that we're looking for. And it seems a little bit counterintuitive at first, and then all of a sudden people I think sort of brighten up and they feel like, oh, wow, I really can use this tool for good things. I was just using sort of the wrong parts of the tool. The idea is uh, relationships, but also meaning. Again, a meaning is, is really that basic idea for why we often go is I, I want meaning in my life, but then we often end up doing things that are kind of meaningless, <laughs> going down rabbit holes that aren't very helpful for us. And that is why the creative triangle is at the top of this pyramid because that really is this major thrust. And, you know, just as an example, I, I think a lot of people have been sort of, you know, using social media for years, but maybe never stopped to consider that it's really important to tailor your social media use to your personality. So for example, you know, we found in some of our published studies that people with certain personality types 
are very sensitive to more social media use. For example, people who have a, a low amount of a, a particular characteristic that psychologists call conscientiousness, sort of the opposite of laziness, I guess, <laughs> that that people who who are more on the lazy side when they use a lot of social media, there's a very high likelihood that that person is going to be more depressed. But people who have a lot more conscientiousness don't have that same sensitivity. They can use a lot of social media and not necessarily be as likely to become depressed or anxious. These are the kinds of things we actually in the book have a personality quiz. And then there are five chapters that go through each of five major personality types and talk about what might be better for you to think about if you're on one side or another of that particular personality characteristic. So that's an example of how you can be sort of more creative with your use and have it be more likely to work for you instead of for them. Different venues in your life, work, family life, what age you're at. I mean, all these play into constructing that diet in a way. Yeah, absolutely. There are so many different contexts of our lives, like you're saying, that we should really be thinking about that. Often we're not. We're sort of joining the major social media platforms that everyone has heard of. But I have a chapter in the book called Love Thy Neighbor, But Choose Thy Neighborhood, because the idea is that it might be, you know, there's so many social media platforms today out there, some of which are little known, a lot of which are focused on people with particular interests or ideas. And that very well may be the place that would be better for you to inhabit. You never would just pick a house because, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pick a house because I'm moving to Cleveland and I'm just going to pick a house in Cleveland. You know, you would think very carefully, what do I want my neighborhood to have because it's going to got to match the things that I care about. And it's the same way with social media. I mean, why just go to the big one when you can very specifically choose a neighborhood that you might rather inhabit and a neighborhood where you might be more likely to find kindred spirits? Do you think there's a danger of people putting themselves in silos of becoming closed off, walled off to different ideas in this process? Yeah, it's a very, very good point, Charles. And, you know, do address that in the book and have thought about it a lot because there are different reasons why sometimes people might prefer actually to maybe create a group of platforms where they are in in contact with people who are different from them because this is one of you know our societal challenges is that you know we often are in echo chambers in today's world and so there is this fear of that happening but i think that what it's going to be is it's really going to depend on certain individuals and again their personal characteristics i mean i wouldn't want somebody to recognize that they have some major important triggers. And because they want to do their societal duty, they end up depressed and anxious and worried and almost with post-traumatic stress because they have a particular tendency. And in that case, I, I don't think that that person needs to expose themselves to that neighborhood. But in other cases, I think you're absolutely right. It's like, it, but it's just like, again, like living in a real city. I mean, if it, it's important that, you know, maybe you choose to live in this neighborhood because of particular amenities or something about that that, you know, feels comfortable. But it's also important in society to explore other cultures and think about people other than yourself. And so I think it, it just becomes sort of the same push-pull is, is there in the social media world. 
How much of this responsibility do you think is put on those developers of the platforms? Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it's an interesting question. And truthfully, I don't really go through too much of that because I just sort of think to myself as a, you know, a clinician and a public health professional, someone who's seen a lot of patients and really just wants to think about the patients and how to help them. It is the way it is. We very much live in a world where there's a lot of financial incentive to, you know, keep social media platforms very, very sticky. And that can be really challenging for us. And so instead of thinking, I'm thinking like a public health person and like a, a clinician to say, how can I help people within this system, in this society, the way we live now? And so I don't really go through too much about blame and focusing on that. I'm really focusing more on what are the solutions, you know, now that we are here where we're in the kind of setting where we want to just use the positive things that, that help us use the platform for good, for meaning, for positivity, to improve relationships, to share accomplishments, but not to get drawn in and, and actually have these things work against us. What do you find are the biggest sticking points or issues for people trying to tone down their social media diet? Well, one is the, the sometimes circular nature. <laughs> um, it, like a food diet, it's very easy to fall into the yo-yo diet. And it's the same way with social media. So someone gets very excited about, okay, I'm going to go on the all watermelon diet and this is going to be great. And then after a few days of all watermelon, the person craves pumpkin pie and eats three of them. And so it's similar with regard to social media. Media. If somebody says, you know what, I'm just never going to use social media again, or I'm always going to do A, B, and C, and I'm never going to do D, E, and F, then th they can sort of set themselves up for something that isn't really sustainable. And then what happens is there's often a relapse. <laughs> there's often, you know, coming in and saying, uh, okay, you know what, now that I've started using social media again, I'm going to go back to using it six hours a day. So I think with so many other behavioral change things, we need to think about it as sort of a little bit at a time. And we also need to think about it as things that are feasible and sustainable. So, you know, as an example, it might not be very easy to just say, I'm, I'm not going to use this at all. And again, that might not be really what we want to do anyway. But on the other hand, we could say, you know, I have particular problems sleeping. So I'm going to just avoid social media use before the 30 minutes before bed. You know, so I've got a couple chapters about sleep in the book, and we have some published studies related to what times of day are most sensitive with regard to social media use. And those last 30 minutes before bed, probably not surprisingly, are very important. So it very well might be that somebody could say, I'm going to make these few changes a little at a time, and I'm going to slowly become better at finding meaning, better at finding positivity, better at improving my relationships. You know, it doesn't have to be all at once. And in fact, it's probably better to do it slowly. So I would say that that's one of the biggest things that people have difficulty with is coming back to me as a clinician and saying, oh, you know, I just I'm in this yo-yo pattern where I, I stop completely and then I miss it because I, I feel like I'm missing out and then I, I go back and then I can't get myself away from it, et cetera, et cetera. People picking up the book, what would you like them, you know, overall take home from the book? You are what you click. Yeah, well, I just hope that people start to become more aware of the fact that 
using social media right now, I just don't think that as individuals or as a society, we're doing it with a whole lot of awareness. We're just kind of going and doing stuff. And I think that when we start to become aware and when we start to make some of these choices, and if we do say, I'm going to be more selective, I'm going to be more positive, I'm going to be more creative, then all of a sudden, I think more natural things are going to start coming out. People will be saying, you know, I've been doing this for so long. I don't know why I've been doing it this way. I really should be tailoring it more to choosing my neighborhood. I should really be tailoring it more to my personality. I should be really be thinking more about using it in this way and not using it in this way. And so it's going to be very, very individual for each person because we're so different. And in a way, that's kind of hard. Like, wouldn't it be easy if we could just say, okay, I figured out the secret formula, just use 47 minutes a day and you'll all be perfect. But that would be disingenuous. That's just not the way it works with something as complicated and as nuanced as social media. Instead, it's going to take a little bit more work and it's going to take a little bit more thought, but I think that the reward is tremendous. We were just talking with Dr. Brian Primack. He's the author of the new book, You Are What You Click, How Being Selective, Positive, and Creative can transform your social media experience. Dr. Pimack, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. Thanks so much, Charles. I, I really enjoyed it. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.